right, well, good morning. We continue in Romans. This will be uh, Christian Behavior Part 3. And this is Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Uh, as I begin to study the lesson, prepare the outline, I had this thought, and, and uh, why does salvation come with standards of behavior? You know, why couldn't everything just be sunshine and roses once you got saved? And why couldn't everything just work out? Because of grace. And I think that probably the reason God does not allow that is because if, if that were the case, then we as human beings would be focused on the flesh and not on the spiritual things. Because if everything just, if a switch just flipped at the time of salvation and then every, everything for the Christian worked out perfect and for the unbeliever it didn't, well, the, the motivation and, and the focus of salvation would be wrong. It would be about the, the, the things working out on this earth and, and the, the physical and the, and the fleshly things versus the spiritual. So we learn and we find that the, the believer's behavior does matter. It matters to the lost and dying world. First of all, uh, we need to be the example and we need to be a, a living example, if you will. Um, so it matters to your neighbors. It, it matters to us, even when we fail to realize how much our behavior matters. It, uh, to, to us as individuals, it matters. To our uh, fellow believers, it matters. And of course, it matters to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Father. And this is why Paul writes in Romans 13 the way that he does. Now, I also thought back to Romans chapter 12. And as we went through Romans chapter 12, I told you it was, uh, we, we moved into the, uh, the action part of the book, if you will. But a lot of Romans 12 was about the thinking, the renewing of the mind, uh, getting our, our thinking right. Chapter 13 is even more about the hands-on, the doing. And in chapter 12, and I, forgive me because I just had this thought driving here this morning. Uh, it was one that the, the Lord kind of added on. And chapter 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's this, that renewing of the mind, and again and again and again, going back and getting our mind right, get our, get our thinking right, get our heads right. And as, as he talked about that in verse 9 of chapter 12, he said, let love be without hypocrisy, and we, we taught on that, we, 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 we talked about what that meant. But again, it's about this, this attitude or this thinking process of love. Well, in chapter 13 and verse 8, we're going to be more practical and we're going to talk about uh, love again, loving our neighbors. But it's not, going to, it's not going to be just in the abstract. It's going to be in, in the action part of that. And, and, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. So having said that as a, a way of introduction, I guess, let's look at verses 8 through 14 of uh, Romans chapter 13. And I'm going to read from the New King James, and I'll read all the verses, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll discuss verses 8 through 10. Uh, when we finish there, then we'll move on and we'll group together verses 11 through 14. I think that's how I've got it laid out, so uh, we'll see how it goes. 
Let's look in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except the love, except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm, does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So we, we begin again talking about uh, love your neighbor in verses 8 through 10. And first of all, we see that love is a debt that we owe to one another. Uh, how many, be honest now, how many ever thought of love as a debt? Yeah, I don't think I'd ever even read it that way. I, I've been across the first many, many times, but it kind of, one of those things that leapt off the page at me. And it says here that love is a debt. I thought it was fascinating that he started this. Uh, and this is not Paul making a financial commentary on debt, um, though the Bible does say some things about debt. But he's using, just as an example here, um, first of all, don't, don't be in debt. Owe nobody anything. And, and that's how he begins verse 8. But he gives an exception, doesn't he? Owe no one anything except that you love one another. And again, we're not talking about the abstract. We're not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling of, oh, I just, I just love everybody. I just love everybody at church because God told me I had to, right? That, that's our excuse. And what do we always follow that up with? What's the phrase? Well, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. That's, that's the Christian out, if you will. Y'all got to lighten up. Y'all look way too serious this morning. Smile at me a little bit. Help me. But the verse here says that, that we are, it, is, it is a debt that we owe. He, he says, again, by way of comparison, don't owe anything. But in other words, this debt, you, you have it and you don't get rid of it. Uh, it's kind of funny that this verse falls on the heels of him talking about taxes. How long do you owe taxes in this country? Forever. For, yeah, well, till you die. <laughs> that forever's bleak. <laughs> then you can owe some more. Then you can owe some more. That's right. That's right. But Paul says, by comparison, you owe this. You owe, you have a debt to one another. You have a debt to me to love me. Did you know that? You, you owe it. To me, and actually you owe it to God that you love me and me to you. And so Paul begins this, this realization here. Love is a debt that we owe to one another. So debt's an obligation that's assumed by, by what? By a covenant, by an agreement, right? So when did you acquire this debt of love? Come on, Sunday school answer. That was an easy one. That's exactly right. Yeah, the Jesus answer, right? At the time of salvation. 
So you entered into this covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the part of this covenant is that you have to love me. You didn't realize that, did you? That's a bad deal, isn't it? <laughs> there, there's some extra. There, that's the fine print, I guess. But Paul's making it real to you this morning. He's, he's opening your eyes to that. That you owe this debt of love and you assume this debt through the covenant at the time of salvation. So this payment this debt is a legal obligation. And I thought, what, what is a great, great example of, of this love that, it, that is owed and, and that is given and then is expressed by doing? Not just, not just by, remember when you were a little kid and you had a crush? And y'all, we've all had them. And say, oh, I just love Peggy Sue. I don't know why that name came to mind. <laughs> I got a little big bopper in my head right now. Peggy said, and I just love, oh, we'd write notes and this and that and the other. And, and, but never did anything for Peggy Sue, right? You know, I, it, was just, it was just that warm, fuzzy feeling. That's not the love he's talking about here. He's talking about the love that, that gets into action. The love that puts, uh, puts their hands on that and does for the other. And I thought of parental love. Don't we do for our children? And what do our children do for us when they're really young? Nothing. <laughs> That's, that, that, that is exactly the answer. And, and, and that's funny to us because we've been there and done that, right? But you know what? That should be the expectation. That they don't bring anything to the table at first. You have, to, you have to love them into that. You have to grow them into that. And, and as being on the other side of that, having dealt with my father and my mother as they pass from this life to the other, it, that, that role changes hands, doesn't it? But, but that's because of love. That's dumb, but they loved me when I was a little bitty kid and could bring nothing to the table. All I did was take, 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 take. That was it. And then I, I, I left. I left messes everywhere I went, you know. And I broke things. And I, and I did, you know, I did stupid things, you know. And then I would go injure myself. And they would have, they would have to fix me and all these things. That, this parental love. And you know what? They didn't owe that to me. They didn't owe me a thing. I, I didn't ask to be born to it. I didn't ask to be in the house. And I did, you know. But they owed me that. Why? Because God said it. That's the natural thing. I was trying to look in Romans chapter 1. And you know, in Romans chapter 1, it talks about sin's digression of mankind and how it works and how it goes from, from bad to worse to worse. And part of that digression is this losing of natural affection. And that's, that's talking about family love. It, you know, we expect even the lost world for the parents to love children, don't we? That's why we're so horrified when we hear on the news of a parent that mistreats a child uh, or doesn't take care of a child or abuses a child. It's there's something in us that that's just wrong, naturally even, even for the unbeliever, see. That's a standard that should be held for all of mankind. So Paul is saying that kind of love, where, where it's to be given and it's to be hands-on love, is not just in the abstract, it's not just saying pretty words, but it's a doing for others. We owe that to one another as believers. There's an obligation here. There's a debt that is to be paid. And so uh, the next, uh, we see that this payment is measurable. 
See? It's not, again, you might say, well, okay, so you're saying there's action to be taken. There's, there's, I'm supposed to do something. How much? What's the measure of that? Well, let's look into the verse again and see if we can figure that out. It is measurable. Verse 8, O no one anything except love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's all summed up in this saying. Here it is. Here's the measurement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how much do you love yourself? That's the problem. That's the problem, isn't it? People don't like themselves. Well, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a decent guy. Go about themselves. I mean, there's. there's I I I understand. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and and I'm not disregarding that. And 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 there are some issues there where some uh, they don't like themselves. I guess the answer there is you got to work on yourself and then love others like that. But as much as you, we love ourselves enough to feed ourselves, we love ourselves enough to dress ourselves, to, take, to give ourselves the basic needs. So Paul is saying as much as you love yourself, you, you have that same love for one another. So again, and I don't think that he's, he's writing commentary saying that okay we'll open the front door and everybody gets to live with you no that's not what he's saying but he said there's a standard here and there's a measurement uh you have a brother a sister in need reach out do something about it and by the way again i said this last week this class is wonderful about that We're, we're doing things right now in the real, in real world with with the the casey's heading up and and heidi's working with us too the Tell me what I'm talking about. The school supply thing with the clothes. And, and that's real, isn't it? There's a real need there in this class reaching out to fulfill that need. And, and that's what he's talking about. It's that real love, that practical love. Now I'm going to take it a step further though. What is the greatest need of mankind? Christ. Christ. Salvation. Don't raise your hand. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but what are you doing about that? You say you love. I say I love. What am I doing about that? Am I putting hands on that, or is that just in the abstract? Am I, get, am I doing something to get the gospel to a lost and dying world, regardless of what they do with it? That's not my responsibility. If not, I should be careful about using that word love. Because then we're just back in the abstract. You can have all the warm, fuzzy feelings that you want. But if you're not doing something. Let's go back to the parental example. You bring a child on that little baby from the hospital. And you just say, oh, I love this child, this baby. We'll go Peggy Sue again. But you don't ever change the diaper. You don't ever feed. You don't ever clothe. Do you truly love? Answer is no. Folks, we've got to get serious about doing. We've got to get serious about seeing this as an action verb and not just as an abstract thought. 
So we're, as, as much as we love ourselves, we're obligated to love one another. If, if you care enough about yourself to bring yourself here this morning, and you obviously do, unless you're on the podcast listening and you're not here this morning, uh, that then you got to get the, the same gospel, the, this, this same word to the lost and dying world. Um, I had a bunch of verses written down here, uh, but we'll just go to Matthew. I'm, I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, most of them were Old Testament verses doing, dealing with the commandment that refers to this uh, loving others as ourselves. But in Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, in verses 38 through 48, uh, talks about this too. And he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, cheat, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic and let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Give him who asked you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven was perfect. So Jesus takes the, the standard and raises it even higher. Now, let's put it in context. Jesus is preaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount. He's not preaching to the church, is he? Answers no. And we know that. Why? Because the church doesn't exist yet when he preaches that. So he's talking to the Jewish people. And what he's doing is he's telling them, he's quoting law, Jewish law to them, which they all are familiar with, and he takes it to a, a, another step up. He's saying, here's, here's where you're living, but you need to be living here. You, the standard is up here. And Paul was kind of doing the same thing here in Romans chapter 13. And there's some givens about, yeah, we're supposed to love one another, but you've got to put wheels on that. You've got to put some action to that. And it says in verse 10, love does not harm a neighbor. And then look at the last line of verse 10, because the summation here is very important. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 10, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, so what does that mean? Well, it's just what it says. God gives all this law, these spiritual laws, he, and he, he, he talks about Ten Commandments. He talks about all these things. God gave a law. Do we, did, did God give a law just to have a, a rule book in place? The answer is no. Of course not. He gave a law for a reason. And there's a lot of reasons, and, a lot, and it adds structure and order to our lives. It talked the... If you talk about the Levitical law, then it, it taught them how to live as a nation, how to live for one another, how to live before God, all these things. But in doing so, 
Paul says, if you love your neighbor, if you truly love your neighbor, don't just talk about it. If you truly love your neighbor, and your neighbor truly loves you, well, you know what? We can almost do without the law because it'll take care of itself. That's what he means. Uh, this fulfills what the law is trying to get you to do. Again, we talked last week about this. It's about motive. Where's your motive? Where's your heart? Are you doing things just because, well, I'm afraid God's going to get me in trouble? Or, no, I want to please God. I want to do what God said. And that means I love my neighbor. And so are you reaching out? Are you putting hands on that? Are you doing something about loving your neighbor? And Paul says if we do these things, if I take time to love Matt and, and, and to do things that, and meet his needs, and, and reach out to him and to do things for him on a spiritual basis, on a physical, whatever the need is. And if I do it because I want to live right before God, I have fulfilled the law. And, you know, you, you, the studying and all this, you, if we start with that motive, it'll take care of a lot of, of, a lot of the issues. Let's move on. Point number two. <clears throat> Secondly, he says, to acknowledge uh, he said, and, and, and do this, to, and acknowledge the time. Verse 11, and do this knowing that the time, uh, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. So, before I get into this, what day is he talking about this? This is a little bit of a trick question. I'll just throw that out there for you because I got on one mindset and then I had to switch gears. So what do you think? When he says that the night is far spent, the day is at hand. What day is at hand? What's he talking about? Best guess. Matt says judgment. Anybody else? I don't disagree with that, by the way. You said yes. Yeah, and you did. Good. Anyone else? What day? Well, what day are we looking for? There's some days we're looking for in the future, in the church. Return. Pardon? The return. The return. Okay, which return? And this is where I got hung up. The second coming. Second coming. All right. I was on rapture. See, I was thinking about rapture, and the more I stood, I thought, now, wait a minute. He's not specific here, is he? And because I started to run down all these verses on rapture, First Thessalonians chapter 4, all these, and I thought I'm going to make a list of those. I'm, but the more I thought about it, the more I, I got the Holy Spirit began to deal with me. Uh, I, I don't see here where he's necessarily talking about rapture. And, and I think, and I could be wrong, and uh, feel free to weigh in here, I, I think he's talking about this, all of this. When he says the day, he's not talking about, as we think of a 24-hour day or an event on a day. Like we just have what? Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and, and I don't think he, but I think he's talking about this, this end of the age. Exactly what you're talking about, Matt, when you say judgment uh, begins with rapture, doesn't it? And so the rapture and then uh, the tribulation period and then the, uh, the, the second coming of Christ follows that. And then there is the great white throne of judgment and then there's the you know, millennial reign, then the great white throne and then eternity and all these things. So I think what he's talking about is all of those things. Well, Go ahead. As a, just as an individual, you could kind of look at it like, hey, our lives are short. We just better get to work. I, you know, I didn't even consider that, but I think you're exactly right. Because 
that is the day also, isn't it? You know, you, we only have so much time, and, and that is a very real sense in what he's talking about here. So we acknowledge the time. So we just got through talking about putting action into love, right? To do things, to, to not just say that we love, but to actually love. And he says, well, and by the way, make note of the time. You don't have forever to do this. Uh, so, and, and he talked about, he got very specific, Paul did, as he's writing, and again, Romans is an epistle, uh, or in a, a letter, that he's writing to the church at Rome, so he's being very specific here, and very direct, uh, so he says, and do this, knowing that the time that is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation, our salvation, Paul's, those at the church at Rome, those who are with Paul, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And I love what you just said, Cameron, because that's exactly right. Paul's salvation was nearer because his life was going to come to an end, wasn't it? Uh, and see, I didn't even consider that, that angle. But yes, that's exactly right. So Paul's conversion was in A.D. 33. Uh, his death was approximately from A.D. 62 to 64, but he writes this epistle about A.D. 57. And so and when he writes this, his salvation is even nearer, whether it's by death or whether it's by rapture or whatever. You know, we as believers, we kind of get weary until we specifically begin to study it or we hear a message on it. We, we don't think about the rapture daily, do we? Now, you might have times when you do, but the Holy Spirit deals with you, but it's, it's just kind of out there. Why? Because it's been forever in our, in our way of thinking, hasn't it? You know, I'm 55 years old. I know I don't like it, look like it, but yeah, it's true. I, I really am. Oh, that's the only thing. Oh, I thought 65. No. <laughs> but, you know, it's been just under 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ. Uh, since this admonition in Rome, here in Romans chapter, it's been uh, uh, just under 2,000 years and still no return of Christ. You know, the Bible even speaks to this, where some mock and say, oh yeah, where's the promise of his returning? It's been forever. So, but it is closer. The rapture is closer. The second coming is closer. All those things are approaching even though we don't know the timeline. Uh, there are things in place. Israel is once again a nation in its homeland. That had to be in place. Um, there are constant wars and rumors of war. We read that in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6. You know how many wars there are on the globe right now? I don't. But there's, there's always wars. You can always find war on this planet now. And that was not always the case. We don't always hear about, I mean, uh, the, the ones that are probably relevant in our minds right now are Israel and Ukraine. Why? Well, because the, well, the news media, uh, that's what they're peddling right now. That, that's what they're reporting on. That's what they're, but there's always wars. And there's wars that are insignificant from a news standpoint to our nation and, and so we don't hear about them but there's the the you got when you read those verses you got to think globally and there's more war now than there ever was by the way should that be a sign to us it absolutely should 
that the Bible is true, that the Bible knows what it's talking about. Because what should, what should really be happening with all the peace accords, United Nations, all these, these uh, international efforts to feed the hungry and all this, the, the do-gooders, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of good efforts out there, even by people that we don't agree with, maybe politically and, 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 other, and spiritually in other ways, but they're doing good. Shouldn't the world be getting kinder? And shouldn't there be more peace on earth? And yet the opposite is true. What about weather-related events? The, 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 uh, the earthquakes. That activity is picked up. The Bible said that's going to happen. All these things that the Bible said are, are going to happen as the day approaches are happening. Uh, it, do you think mankind's a, a greater sinner now than they were? You're shaking your head no, and I had the same thought. I, I'm just asking the question. Yeah, I, no, I just think it's more visible now. Okay, and, and I'm not... There's more of us, too. There's more of us. And see, I was thinking about all those things, so I don't know the real answer to that question, but I, I did come up with this, because Romans 1, again, talks about as they uh, as the sin declines and, and the degradation, they invite, invent new ways to sin. And we know that's true, don't we? Mm -hmm. We have more technology so that we can sin better. And that exactly, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. <laughs> you know, it's comical to say that, but that's exactly what I was thinking of. You know, so the sin that does exist, and, and maybe the, there's always been evil. There's been evil, evil men since the time of Babel and, and, and before. But now we can do what? We can, we can broadcast it to everybody at the touch of a button. We, so the, this sneakier sin. Sneakier sin, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all these things. So there, there's this new and, uh, quote, better ways to sin than there ever were in the past. And so the Bible said things were going to be like this as we saw the day approaching, the, that time of second coming and rapture and the end times. So what is to be our, our response? And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm summing it up with this. Verses 12, and 14, 12 through 14. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So he uses this analogy of, of uh, unsuiting from one and, and putting on the armor of light, this protective gear of light. And so uh, what do we do with this stuff? We live in the real world. You have to avoid it. You got you to get rid of it. Later on, he says, make no provision for it. No provision for the flesh. So those things that tempt you, and we all have them, whatever, whatever tempts you to make provision for your flesh, get rid of it. That's what he's saying. Change your habit. Again, this is action work. It's not abstract. It's not, well, I just wish that I wouldn't do so-and-so. Well, if you wish that you wouldn't do so-and-so, stop making provision for it. What's that word provision mean? Well, it means to provide. And in, in, in the military, it's, we, 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 we would receive provision, especially if we were going to the field. You got X amount of uh, MREs, and you got X amount of clothes, and you got X amount of equipment. And when we would go on force march, the medic would come around. He would hand out uh, a little bit of his equipment uh, to each of us 
so that if uh, several got blown up, that equipment wouldn't all be in the same rucksack and wouldn't all get destroyed. So provisions were given out on a needed basis. That's what he's saying here. Don't make provision for those things that are bad, those things that are evil, those things that draw you away. Get rid of the provision. Don't provide for it. And then the second step is to do what? Put on Christ. So do make provision for the things that are right. The spiritual things. The things that are going to help you win the loss of Christ. The things that are going to help you stay faithful in church. The things that are going to help you to honor God. The things that are going to help you put action to these things that he's talking about. Loving one another. Don't provide for the other. Do provide for this. Seems simple when we say it, doesn't it? The recipe is simple. Do you, you ever cook a recipe that seems simple? Lisa, yeah, <laughs> Stephanie has. Lisa made me a caramel cake one time. I love caramel cake. And she, man, she got all the recipes. She got all the ingredients together. Uh, she got it all, and she put some work into this thing and put some time into it. And that thing come out of the oven, and it looked like the Linian Tower of Pizza. <laughs> Pizza, whatever, however you say it. <laughs> it had gaps in it. It was falling over. It looked like a drunk deacon laying on the table. <laughs> it was pitiful. It tasted okay, but we both laughed at it. I mean, it just, it, I don't forget where I go, was going with this, but it, it's this putting time to this thing and doing things right. It sounds simple. The recipe sounded simple when she started, but the execution was difficult. That's kind of how this is. Paul writes it, and the recipe is simple, but it's hard to do. And that's why Paul started this whole thing in chapter 12 when he said, day by day. What do you have to do? Renew your mind. Every day. I told you I, I, there was a, a, a guy that goes to church. He was in my backyard. And he was talking about this problem that he was having. And I, and I was telling him the things, to, you know, what you have to do is you have to go to the Lord and do this. And he said, I do that. And I, I said, no, but you got to do it again. He said, yeah, but every time I do it and then I see that guy, I want to choke him. <laughs> I understand. I have a, you got to go and do it again and again and again and again. Again, that's why he says don't be weary in well-doing. You got to stand. And when you fail, guess what? Go back and do it again and again and again and again. We got to put some action to our love or it doesn't mean anything. I love you. Get out of here. We'll be in chapter 14 next week.